Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. On tonight's program, Julia Lee of Berman Invest and June Bay Liu of Tribeca Alpha Plus Fund will look at companies that they like out of recent reporting weeks. And then Ron Shamger, who's the head of Aussie Equities at Tamim Asset Management, assesses EML payments, Money3 Corporation and the Unity Group. And he actually likes these three companies. Finally, Paul Rickard raises his price target for Telstra and looks at today's reporting companies and Pole, Sonic Healthcare and Reliance Worldwide. They kind of reported pretty well, but the market didn't give them a big thumbs up. We'll try and work out why. That's the show. Let's kick off with uh, Julia Lee of Berman Invest. Julia, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Pete. It's reporting season, and I know that excites you when reporting season comes around. Let's look at the companies that have reported, you like them, and you think their share price will keep on heading in the right direction. First one you've talked to me about is Bluescope. Yeah, I like Bluescope. I guess, Pete, the reason why reporting season is so important to me is that there have been a number of studies that have been done which show that companies that perform well during a reporting season um, and report well, that, that, that effect isn't just for that day or for that month. Six months later, you've usually seen outperformance by those companies as well. So as a group, these companies do tend to keep on outperforming. Bluesco still is one of those which is in an upcycle at the moment. We're seeing very strong US housing activity. And not only that, the iron ore price has fallen and iron ore is a key input into steel. So costs are falling for Blue Scope Steel, but demand still looks quite strong. It is coming up with a dividend as well as a special dividend, which will be paid in September. So looking quite good here for Blue Scope Steel. And I think importantly, the outlook looking strong as well. And Julia, I must ask this question. Are you saying that a company has to report well and its share price has to rise, or can it report well and the market reacts badly to it, you know, on first blush, but later on it realises a lot better report than they expected? It's a good question, Pete. Um, and I guess if you see both, uh, it reports well and the share price rises, it's a much stronger signal than if it reports well and the share price falls. Having said that, you know, the market is a bit of a strange beast in terms of expectations and where valuations are. And I guess a case, case in point today is Sonic. It reported well, but the share price was down 2.5%. So I guess a key thing that we try to look at is how much is already built into the share price. We have a look at Sonic's share price. Um, you know, it's up 25% in the year to date. And I guess investors are asking themselves, have earnings peaked? You know, Sonic is helping out with COVID-19 testing as well as injections. So are we seeing a peaking of earnings at the moment? So I think if you see an opposite reaction to the result, then there's just a bit more uncertainty involved. Better to get both the signals. Yeah. Uh, by the way, um, CSL had that kind of reaction, didn't it? That the market didn't necessarily like a pretty good report, uh, but it has continued to sneak up ever since. Yeah, I think, Pete, you raise a good point about the healthcare space. Um, CSL... 
Um, and I think the healthcare space and the information technology space are frequently areas where you do see uh, results that are relatively good and the share price goes the other way. And that's because of that valuations in these sectors tend to be quite elevated. So you're already going into earnings season with high expectations. Um, probably not so much for the tech space this time around. You're going in with relatively low expectations. So even if some of these tech stocks report on expectations, you'll probably see a rally in terms of the share price. But in previous years, we've seen that. So I guess valuations are important because they tell us a lot about what's already built into the share price. And stocks with high valuations, not only do they need to beat, they need to uh, pretty much determine that they're still in this up cycle. That is that analysts are continuing to upgrade earnings expectations to help support the share price. Okay, let's go to a couple of insurers. Well, one's an insurer, insurer one's a sort of a broking business, QBE and Steadfast. You, you like both of those, don't you? <laughs> yes, uh, the insurance uh, business is doing really well at the moment. We have a look at QBE insurance. It has this beautiful combination of relatively low claims um, and then you've got rising prices, so rising premiums. So their claims inflation, that is the rate that people are claiming at, isn't as high as as um, the rate that they're increasing their insurance uh, costs by. So premiums are rising, but uh, cost inflation isn't rising by the same amount, which means margins are expanding, which is a lovely place for QB insurance to be. And we're seeing that globally with the insurers that we are seeing double digit uh, gains in terms of premium prices. And of course, if you think about the insurance space at the moment, I mean, just to think of general insurance, you know, we're still paying for our car insurance, but we're not driving our cars as much during lockdown. So the insurers are in a bit of a sweet spot. I guess it would be great if we saw the investment portfolio also performing well, but uh, QB insurance does have exposure to interest rates, especially over in the US and Australia. So as interest rates rise, the investment part of its portfolio will do well as well. So QB, not only did it see a good result, but I think it's still in this upgrade cycle. The outlook's strong and it's looking pretty good. So I like QB as an insurer. I also like uh, Steadfast, which sells insurance. So you've got one insurance company and the other one's selling it. And of course, when premiums are rising, the brokers are doing well as well. So Steadfast doing well. Yeah, it's been a good performing company, hasn't it, over time? Uh, get to a change of pace, car sales, you like car sales? Yeah, I mean, anyone who's tried to buy a car during lockdown will know that uh, it's pretty hard to buy a car at the moment. So that's not only in the new car space, but also the used car space. And with household budgets still relatively strong, car sales are going well. So car sales was one that impressed this uh, reporting season. But look, South Korea is a growth engine and that's going to continue to grow. So they're in different markets around the globe. So not only did they report well, but importantly, some of the markets outside of Australia are really starting to fire. So the next 12 to 18 months, the outlook looking strong. Okay. Now, one company that you, you did like not too long ago, um, before really before New, New South Wales went in or Sydney went into lockdown, was Kogan. And Kogan has had a nice run. And, and I, I believe you still like Kogan. But what happens in a year's time in Kogan? Do we all of a sudden say, ah, enough of Kogan, no more lockdown, forget Kogan? Yeah, that's probably what I'll do, actually, Pete. <laughs> um, you, with some of the COVID-19 stocks, I'm just very careful in watching when I think that the earnings outlook has peaked. 
um, because that means that the share price action, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Kogan at the moment is in a sweet spot together with the supermarkets like Metcash, Coles, Woolworths because of lockdown, Temple and Webster. These companies will continue to do well as long as the lockdown continues because we're at home. Um, I'm not sure, but a lot of people do seem I've ordered um, two stand-up desks already because it looks like I'll be working from home much longer than anticipated. Um, and I'm spending lots of hours in the office at the moment. So um, look, these stocks are doing well right now, but I don't think they're forever stocks because once you have reopening, you'll be competing against some of those physical stores. Kogan, I think is going to be an interesting one, Pete, because it reports tomorrow on Tuesday. And the last update that we saw from, from Kogan was quite downbeat. And of course, since then, we've seen the shares recover. So we do need to see a bit more of a positive update coming through from Kogan and hopefully we'll see that tomorrow. But retailers in general have been doing well. Harvey Norman, which of course is also underpinned by its property portfolio, um, reports at the end of the month. So watching that one as well. Yeah, I know Maureen bought Harvey Norman for, for a mere song, you know, when at the bottom of the, the crash. And she kept saying to me, should I sell it? Should I sell it? But it's done so well. And I kind of think he's got more upside. What do you think? Yeah, I think Harvey Norman is a little bit different from the other retailers because of the property component of its portfolio. And look, property prices have been going absolutely crazy. So look, watching for a revaluation of that property portfolio together with um, some relatively good sales of uh, things related to to houses because of course we have seen house prices relatively strong. So look, if you're comparing, usually you compare um, JB Hi-Fi to Harvey Norman. I probably prefer Harvey Norman at this stage only because of the, the property component of the portfolio. And also he's earning a lot more money overseas than ever before, isn't he, Julia? And I guess overseas is opening up. Yeah, I mean, um, it's patchy in terms of the opening up, but look, uh, the, the overseas growth, they've been uh, looking at places like Ireland and Singapore. And of course, that international growth has been a highlight of, of Harvey Norman. I think the last couple of reports that we've seen out of Harvey Norman, it has been that international expansion, which has surprised. So watching that international expansion as well. But I, I guess in terms of retailing, just watching once again, uh, the outlook. And I think that's the key because not a lot of companies have given outlook this reporting season. And especially, I think it's especially important with those companies that are benefiting from the COVID-19 situation and lockdowns that we do see some sort of clear outlook to help that extra leg up in terms of the share price. Yeah, thanks, Julia. That's Julia Lee, Herman Invest. And coming up is Ron Shamgur from Tamman Asset Management. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Well, joining me now is Ron Shamgar, who's head of Aussie equities at Tamim Asset Management. Ron, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, mate. Now, look, 
Um, just, just is there a speciality in the sense that you you like to go for mid to small cap companies with uh, at Tamim? Um, yeah, look, I mean, at Tamim just. Briefly, we're, we're a wealth management firm based in Sydney. We actually offer investors Aussie equities, international equities, property and credit funds. I am the head of Aussie equities, so I specialize in the Aussie equity funds, which I run. And I felt that over the years, you know, ASX 100 companies had too much coverage and I couldn't really add value to investors. Whereas outside the ASX 100, I get a lot of access to the management teams and you get to find companies that uh, are more kind of under the radar uh, which really sort of, uh, you know, I feel gives me an edge uh, as a fund manager. Yeah. Okay. And, and because um, one, one company in particular that I've been uh, watching and talking to, you know, my followers about is EML. Um, and uh, I know you have a view on it. It reported last week. Uh, it's a company that was looking pretty good, uh, particularly when it looked, looked like the, the world was reopening before the Delta strain came along and then they had a problem with the Irish Central Bank. Um, but you, you kind of think things are heading in the right direction with EML, don't you? Yeah, look, EML, uh, we've held it for quite a few years. And as you said, they've had their ups and downs, you know, unfortunately COVID and then this um, regulatory issue, which wasn't really their fault. Um, EML reported their results so last Tuesday, as you said, and it, it, there were some positives and some negatives uh, in the result. Um, I'll start with the positives. Uh, you know, the revenue came in ahead of, uh, of guidance, which is really good. And EBITDA was at the top uh, end of guidance. Uh, cash flow was really strong. Uh, and the cash balance uh, on the balance sheet is $140 million. So we have a very, very uh, strong business here. Uh, pleasantly, the GPR segment, so that's that reloadable segment, not the gift cards, which is sort of higher quality. That's now half of their gross debit volume and about 58% of revenue. So they're really kind of moving away from, from the gift cards. And um, the new business pipeline is, again, uh, really impressive. Uh, they, they sign two programs every week for the last year. And their business uh, future pipeline has over 300 programs that are worth over $10 billion in gross debit volume at maturity. And if they can win sort of 40 or 50% out of that, that's quite material. Now the negatives uh, were the FY22 uh, guidance, which they gave. Now, whilst the sort of top line growth was still very solid, uh, the EBITDA figure that they've given was probably about 15% below uh, consensus estimates. And which is probably the reason why the share prices, initially the share price got hammered and because of that. And then I think as investors kind of realize, hang on, this is just a, a transitory issue, uh, it recovered. And so the biggest drag on EBITDA is obviously the regulatory uh, issue that they have with the Central Bank of Ireland. And that's uh, doing both delaying a launch of new programs and adding additional compliance costs to the business. Uh, but, um, you know, management is saying that it will be resolved by the end of this calendar year, which will enable them to sort of uh, keep going and launching new programs. And I think if you take a bit of a longer term view beyond FY22, which is, which is what we're seeing investors starting to, uh, the future looks really bright for this business. You know, the world is moving away to moving to digital payments away from cash, mobile payments and all these solutions. And EML really is at the forefront of innovation in this space. So we really like this business. Yeah, I must admit, when I first got interested in the company, there was the gift card business and there was the, the, the casino or, or the gambling type re reloadable cards. And then they started adding more and more 
other financial innovations. And I thought, okay, uh, clearly the, the 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 gambling side, if you ignore the online aspect of it, and the sh sh going to shopping centres, all tro a troubled year 2020. Um, figured in 2021 things would get better, but of course the Delta strains come along. So I, I roll my optimism out of 2022. And so are you seeing like the three components that stand out in this business or are likely to be heading in, heading into a more positive direction in 2022? Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, more importantly, I think unlike some other payments companies, uh, and I know sort of, you know, you mentioned gaming and so on, but it's actually a relatively small part of their business. They're, they're sort of, they're actually diversified across many different industries, sectors, and customers. So there's no real concentration risk there, which unlike some of their competitors, um, I think it's a real positive. Um, and I think sort of management has shown that, you know, with COVID, which was obviously a big impact, and even this issue with the CBI, I think management is sort of showing investors, look, whatever sort of comes uh, up against us, we can sort of handle it and resolve it to the benefit of everyone. They've shown it. And I think in the future, as problems arise, which they inevitably do, I think um, investors will start giving management the benefit of the doubt that they can deal with any issue that arises. And maybe we won't have these severe share price reactions in future. Okay. So, yeah. Let's go to the next one you're looking at, and that's MNY, Money3 Corporation. These guys are kind of in the car finance space. Tell us why you like this company. Yeah, so they actually started sort of as a, a payday lender back in the day. And, uh, you know, new management uh, took over the business and come, pivoted it away from their payday lending, which they exited completely a few years ago, and focused purely on consumer uh, loans uh, to finance vehicle purchases, both secondhand vehicles. And then more recently, they've expanded into um, uh, financing uh, newer vehicles um, and sort of larger purchasing um, uh, uh, prices of sort of up to sort of $50,000. Uh, they made some acquisitions over the years. Now, unlike some of the sort of emerging, uh, you know, lenders in this space, they're actually highly profitable. So they have a loan book, uh, which finished the year at $600 million. And um, their net profit after tax uh, came in just under $40 million. Uh, you know, they, they, they have a really strong sort of diversified funding base. They finally have their entire funding base to lend coming from sort of uh, some of the big four banks and large financial institutions. So their cost of funding has really come down. Now, we've seen what's interesting is that obviously Australia has been a bit of a mixed bag in terms of COVID and lockdowns and so on. But generally, um, you know, although our international borders uh, have been closed, uh, domestically, we've had a pretty good run up until now uh, in terms of being open and without COVID. And so, you know, a lot of uh, Australians, they couldn't travel overseas and they chose to um, travel uh, domestically, both for holidays and both to just commuting uh, back uh, to and from work, uh, picking up the kids and so on. And people are a little bit avoiding public transport because of the perceived risk of COVID. And so using more cars, requiring more cars. And we've seen really the second-hand uh, vehicle market and prices uh, go up significantly, which benefits uh, money three because uh, they just end up lending more money. The value of the car goes up, uh, which means that the profits go up. And, uh, and more interestingly, during the, the lockdown period last year, uh, you know, their customers actually uh, ended up um, sort of paying off their debts a lot quicker rather than having a default. So uh, they had very strong cash flows. Now they're targeting in the next two years to reach a billion dollar of loan book, 
which should equate to something around 70 to $80 million of net profit after tax. I think their market cap is somewhere in the 600s. So, you know, if they can achieve that over the next couple of years, I think it's really cheap. And I would compare them more to a credit corp type business. And that business is trading on a 20 times PE. Money three is maybe on 15 times. And they've really established a long-term track record of growth. And I think it's a really good sector and the industry is huge and they've only got like two or 3% of the market. So they can easily double that uh, over the next few years. So we really like that uh, business. An interesting business. I guess it has been helped by, as you pointed out, the lockdown scenario and whatever, but still uh, it is interesting when you see the, the sorts of people that borrow for, for secondhand cars in particular, there often are people who really need the cars and they will make their payments. It surprises a lot of people when you look at, start looking at the demographics. One final one, mate, you want to look at UWL, Unity Group. Why do you like this company? Yeah, so they actually haven't reported yet. Um, they're reporting their results, I believe, Wednesday this week. Um, and um, this, is, um, this is basically a, a telco fiber provider to residential sector. So essentially it's a mini NBN. So if you want to own the NBN, but a much better, well-run, profitable NBN, then you own uh, Unity Group. Um, now, they are really the main competitor to the NBN in Australia. And my our understanding is that they're winning about 20 to 30% of all new uh, greenfield development uh, uh, sites uh, in Australia. So um, they're actually giving the NBN a good run for their money. Now, we've seen a very strong housing market. And that should continue. Obviously, you know, there are some uh, setbacks in the short term because of lockdowns. But, you know, they are uh, basically what they do is, um, you know, they uh, win a, a, a sort of construction project with a developer and they're contracted to roll out fiber to those residential lots as they are being built and connected and sold to someone. And then they basically uh, uh, lease out, just like the NBN, that fiber to an internet service provider like a, a Telstra or whoever who then uh, provides internet to that uh, residential owner. So they have a, a, a huge pipeline of contracted lots uh, for the next five years. And if that business actually never did anything else, but just execute on that contracted pipeline of lots to connect, they would double their earnings, which is quite amazing to say for any business. Um, and this is a very profitable, a very defensive uh, earnings stream, highly cash generative, and we've seen a lot of, um, you know, whether it's uh, super funds or other players in the space, really covered these infrastructure type defensive assets. And funnily enough, um, Unity Group last year acquired their, their biggest competitor at the time, which was called Opticom. And they had a bidding battle against uh, Aware Super. And uh, Unity ended up winning that takeover battle. And it just shows that these super funds are really interested. And I wouldn't be surprised seeing Aware Super or someone else come and bid for unity uh, down, down the track. So uh, the consensus uh, EBITDA for a unity group is $130 million for FY22. We believe that the run rate at the end of July is that number, which means that we should see consensus upgrades um, following the results. Um, and so I think, um, you know, it's just a quality, profitable business. And the guys that are running it, uh, are the guys that build Vocus, MTU, tele telecommunication, Vocus, and so on. So a really impressive board and, and management team. So just a, a really solid business. Um, is Vaughan Bowen a, a part of that group? Yep, Von Bowen, Mick Simmons, uh, and there's a few others there, yep. Yeah, he, he, Vaughan's one of my ex-students from the University of New South Wales. <laughs> 
I'm interested about that. Ron, but interestingly, the analysts think there's 21% downside, but is that because the share price has gone for a pretty strong run? Yeah, yeah. I think there's expectations of an upgrade. So obviously, it's starting to get built into the price. Um, you know, I think uh, most sort of uh, valuations out there are sort of uh, $3.80, $4 and so on. But I just think we'll just keep seeing consensus upgrades. Uh, and look, it's probably trading on uh, an FY23 EBITDA multiple of 18 times. But really, if you think about it, this is as defensive as a business can get. This is the fiber backbone. This is like the NBN. Is this, you know, people will never disconnect their internet. It's the last thing they'll ever do. They're only going to require more bandwidth. And um, I just think that, like I said, that contracted pipeline uh, that they have ensures that they double their earnings over the next three to five years. Ron, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. Well, coming up now is June Bailu from Tribeca Alpha Plus. Great to see you, June Bailu. Great to see you, Peter. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. But I know you're excited. This is reporting season. So a fund manager like you gets a chance to see how the companies you've invested in, how they're going. But also you get to maybe check out some companies you haven't got that you might like for the future. So I know you've given me a few to kick off with. So let's start off with Domain. Yeah, look, Domain, we think it's a fan, always a fantastic result. Um, uh, on the day, um, share price initially started off was down a little bit because people were a bit worried about slightly higher cost, um, which is a, a consistent theme across most of the sectors that most of companies are investing more in the next 12 months, which is a which is a good thing to do because demand's been strong. And also for Domain, on the uh, you know on the day of the result, obviously the lockdown is impacting the short-term um, housing listing. Um, so creative of uh, opportunity actually buying opportunity and um, but since then we've seen investors piling back into the risk uh, into the company knowing that eventually we will come out of this lockdown even though it feels like we may not um, but uh, you know housing market is very buoyant um, listings being impacted but we have seen every time when the lockdown gets lifted the recovery uh, in listing is very very strong so we know the earning will recover very strongly post listing um, and this company's very well leveraged it's um it's uh um you know the amount of revenue it generates per listing has grown substantially and yet still way way behind what real estate which is the number one player in the market charges so a lot of growth opportunity that is really just um you know unique to the company itself mm. now that's one of its biggest problems it's always competed with uh rei uh, or real estate group and and the, and the bottom line is are you saying that you think Domain is starting to play catch up quite competitively? Oh, absolutely. Look, at that's actually a really, really good point. That's right. That they are playing catch up, even though they're both playing in all markets in Australia. And yet Domain's uh, market cap is uh, only one eighth of REA's market cap. But I look, honestly, I think both companies are buy. It just Domain has a slightly higher growth profile going forward in the next few years. Okay. Another one, an interesting one, is Domino's. Now, we know Domino's have been killing them with people locked up at home, so frustrated with life, they're just stuffing pizza down their, their mouth. Are you still saying there's, there's a potential there for Domino's? 
Oh, absolutely. Just look at the earnings growth profile. I know it look expensive next year, but they have upgraded their earnings so many times. And I wouldn't be surprised the current earnings is still too low for the next few years. Because what's really driving this company at the moment, not only we're buying more pizza, is that they actually make it easier to buy pizza with their technology. And at the same time, they're growing more markets. So they're in Europe, they're doing well, they reach scale, which means every revenue, every dollar of revenue will drop straight to the profit. Um, and then uh, in Japan, they're doing well, and they just bought into um, Taiwan as well. And uh, potentially there's more coming through. And then they just done the calculation. They can roll out more store every year. Um, and every store essentially just add additional growth. Um, you know, despite share price uh, rally into the result, uh, on the day of the result, we still saw um, double-digit earnings growth for the next three years coming from analysts and share price continue to move on with the earnings. So we believe this is one of the core holdings for a portfolio. And I guess it's fair to say that even if one day a recession and a stock market crash comes along, that's a time when you want to eat more pizza because you're, you're so depressed. <laughs> that's right. And then it, it's, it's, cheap. <laughs> it's cheap and it gets to you. You know who's driving the pizza to you and then you've got that cool functionality, you track everything. So I actually think it's a great company. It's innovative, which is very important um, because you just don't want to buy a company just because it's cyclical. You know, economy, economy is going well, so a company will do better. You want a company to do better when in a good economy also do better better than its competitors um, and continue to innovate is incredibly important. Okay, another interesting company is James Hardy. Now, we, we know it's benefited from, you know, the, the building booms here and in, in the USA in particular. You still like it going forward? Yeah, look, still like it. Just incredible amount of leverage coming through. We know the housing market in the US is incredibly strong. Well, it's very strong in Australia and uh, UK and then around the world. And we expect that to continue. But James Hardy is growing has been growing faster than the market for many, many years now. Uh, it is, and it continue to invest in its, uh, you know, better facilities and more capacity. And a few years ago, they ha actually have increased their capacity to keep up with the demand. And now it's reaping the Profit, uh, the, the rewards. So, you know, we expect this company to grow double digit for many years to come. And look, it's expensive, but it's not as expensive uh, when you compare to other defensive uh, quality businesses. Okay. Just before you go, I'm going to be asking a, another fund manager about EML, which is a part of my Zeet stocks. It reported last week. Do you have a view on EML payments? Look, I like EML um, and the result itself, look, um, it, it's, it's probably, it, it was an okay result given the tough condition. Um, the biggest thing overhang is the regulatory overhang. Um, we're not sure what might come through. Um, you know, just out of the, um, the, 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 the proceeding out of the government over there. Um, and then the business has slowed down somewhat because of the regulatory uncertainty. But what has reassured the investor at the result is that um, potentially uh, it will be only a fine um, instead of complete loose loss of the license um, uh, in that region. So net-net, um, you know, share price come off 50% on the back of that regulatory uncertainty. It certainly looks like a good opportunity at this point. So you're saying if you're prepared to take a risk that the penalty won't be as bad as the market initially thought, there could be a, a surprise upside and the market would love to see that news, but you're going to have to wait for that news to come through. That's right. We just don't know when that regulatory overhang will be removed, but um, you know, perhaps you can apply a 70 to 80% probability that it will be a smaller fine than expected or lose loss of license or anything like it. 
Okay, June Bailey, great seeing you and thanks for your uh, insights. Thank you very much and good luck. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. And that was June Bay Lou of Tribeca Alpha Plus. Now joining me is Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report. And Paul is going to confess to having a new view on Telstra. Paul. Well, it's actually not a new view, Peter, but um, I've been bullish on Telstra for a little while, as have you. Um, but uh, and I, I started getting bullish at about 280. It's now um, touching $4. And I got to say, I think there's a little more upside in it, uh, even though we've had a, it's been one of the best performing stocks over the last 12 months. Yeah, you and I thought 275 would be a nice um, uh, gain. Uh, though I must admit, I haven't sold yet. So I'm, I'm glad that you're actually throwing some weight behind Telstra. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those stocks that uh, a lot of people invested. Uh, you know, six, seven years ago, above $5. One of the uh, prioritisation levels, I think, was $7.40. Yeah. It's twice got down to about $2.50 and bounced off each time. Uh, we got bullish about $2.80. You know, and you sort of think it's a, it's a company that has had zero earnings growth. Revenue's been under pressure now for the best part of a decade. Um, but I sort of think that Telstra sort of now turned the corner and probably can go just a little bit higher. Mm. Paul, like we know it's big on mobile, um, but also has it benefited from the lockdown in the sense that people are at home using telecommunication services like never before? I think probably not, Peter. In fact, Telstra would probably argue that COVID's actually been a, an expense to it because it's had to provide a bit like the banks, uh, you know, subsidies to small business to uh, keep them alive, not, you know, been pretty gentle the way it's collected overdue uh, payments, uh, extra costs with staffing, uh, had problems with a lot of, had a lot of call centres based in the Philippines, had to bring that workforce back to Australia. So I think we'd argue that COVID's actually been an expense to it. Certainly it's benefited from use, but I don't know whether, it, because of, particularly in the mobile uh, sense, all the plans are capped these days. In the broadband sense, it's just a retailer, so it doesn't really get any best benefit there. And even the wholesale side, I think people tend to, um, uh, you know, deal on contract. I'm not sure it's been a huge beneficiary of extra usage during COVID, but certainly the um, underlying trend of the digital economy, I mean, that's still long-term tailwinds um, in the way we use computers and communication devices. That's still a tailwind for Telstra ultimately. Yeah. And also, I guess the bottom line is you're saying if the coronavirus lockdown period hasn't been great for the company, it's got a reopening trade benefit out there. And is that part of the reason why you're upgrading your your price target? Look, it's, it's part of the reason. It's more I just think that Telstra has perhaps turned the corner. And let me just sort of make that case. Uh, first of all, just to look back at the result about a week ago, it actually delivered on its guidance. That's a positive always to actually say what you're going to do. Um, secondly, it had actual earnings in the second half that actually exceeded the first half. So it actually had an earnings growth for the first time 
in almost a decade. Very, very small increase in the second half, but underlying earnings increased. Um, thirdly, it, it forecasts next year, and Telstra does provide guidance that uh, EBITDA would be up to about $7 to $7.3 billion, and that's up from about $6.7 billion this year. So that's a gain of about $400, $500 million, 6 or 7% increase in earnings for next year, which is a positive. And then I think in the mobile space, Peter, which is not so much due to usage, but due to competition, uh, it's actually benefiting from you know, the, the merger between TPG and Vodafone. The, the, the big four became the big three, that just takes a little bit of pricing pressure out of the market. And Telstra has recorded some uh, revenue growth on mobiles. It's uh, the average revenue, what we call the ARPU, average revenue per user went up. Uh, and again, that's the first time that's gone up in more than a decade. So there's signs of revenue growth. It's doing some good work on the cost side. And then finally, we saw um, early in the year, it sold about 49% of its towers business and it got a phenomenal price for, for doing that. And part of that's coming back effectively through a share buyback. But it's also carved off all of its, all its infrastructure business into another company. So these are the things that actually own all the telephone exchanges, all the ducts, the vaults, all the stuff where all the, the cables go, the backbone of the whole communications network that you know, the NBN uses to some extent, but certainly Telstra uses. Uh, and that business is called Infastro, Infarco. Um, that could yet be demerged or sold, or they do a similar deal to what they did with um, the Towers business. Um, the timing on that's probably still about a year away, Peter, but certainly uh, the analysts sort of ascribe some value to that and say that, it, again, you know, a, a sale of part of or a demerger, that would actually be pretty good for, for Telstra shareholders and Telstra share price. Mm, okay. So just quickly, Paul, uh, a few companies reported today and none of them got really a thumbs up. Yeah, let's start off with, uh, with Ampol. I mean, uh, they're all actually down just a touch, Peter. Um, Ampol was fairly much on, on as, as expected. Uh, announced an acquisition of a business in the New Zealand market. That probably didn't do a lot for it. The interesting thing about the Ampol result was its refinery up in Brisbane is actually back producing earnings again. And you might recall that the government is now sort of providing a subsidy uh, to keep the two refineries going. And um, so the Linton refinery in Queensland was a positive contributor to earnings. Uh, sales volumes are down, of course, because of COVID, we're not using uh, as much petrol as, uh, as, as lockdowns. And of course, so it's, it, it's had impacts of COVID-19, but uh, look, a pretty workmanlike result. I think it's, there's attractive yield there, and maybe this is just a chance to uh, top, back up, top back up on Ampol. Okay, let's go to Sonic next. Yeah, another company I like, and um, probably underwhelmed a touch because its total dividend for the year of about uh, 91 cents was a little bit less than the market felt around 101 cents. Um, again, a, a, a fairly strong result, but the market was probably factoring more into this because Sonic, which of course is a pathology business is not just in Australia, um, but uh, it's about 40% Australia, 40% the US and Europe. Uh, it's done a huge number of those COVID-19 tests, right? I think it's done something mm -hmm. like 60 million tests uh, and they get the lion's share. So when you go out and get your COVID test in Australia, it's going to one of the, not all exclusively Sonic, but it's one of the major uh, pathology labs behind it. I think the market had sort of expected that might be a bigger contributor to earnings. And um, look, there's a small contribution from it, but um, not as much as the market expected. In a, in a pullback, I think there's good value in Sonic too. Okay. Um, 
And the third one, again, another one I'm asked in our portfolios, Peter, is Reliant Worldwide, which, of course, is the plumbing company, uh, well, not the plumbing company, the company, the company that makes fittings and, um, mm -hmm. uh, and things for, for plumbers and people doing their uh, own uh, renovations. Uh, again, most of the business started in Australia. Most of the business is, is done offshore in the US. They had a really good result, uh, profit up by more than 100%, um, a big increase in dividend, uh, and it's been one of the boom stocks um, for the last 12 months. Uh, I guess just a bit of profit taking. It's probably done better than the market expected. The dividend's a fraction higher. But uh, again, you know, when you're sort of trading at a pretty heady multiple, had a big run up this year, uh, the market's just seen it as an opportunity to knock it down a percent or two. Yeah, but you're still sticking with it. Yeah, still sticking with it. It was actually, um, just, you know, its outlook, I think, was pretty buoyant for the start of um, of 2022, notwithstanding, though, that, of course, you know, with lockdowns and a lot of, you know, concern about what the the the, the Delta virus can mean is also meaning what they, you know, describe as sort of supply chain disruptions in terms yeah. of getting, getting parts. And, of course, you know, with plumbers not able to visit houses potentially because of Delta, you know, they're, they're also a company that, uh, you know, faces its own uh, COVID challenges. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the companies that, in 2022, get a nice big rebound from hopefully getting back to normal. Yeah, and I think we probably underestimate that pretty well most of our companies have some impact, uh, either through higher costs, uh, through just disruption to supply chains, or alternatively, you know, some hesitancy. I mean, lockdowns aren't good for anybody. Um, and then they create artificial demand afterwards, of course, which makes it really hard to manage. So there, there are costs in doing this. And look, so far, I think as, as some of the data you've seen from from Shane Oliver from AMP Capital, who tracks the stuff pretty closely. You know, there are a lot more beats uh, than there are misses so far. Mm. Um, so earnings are pretty strong. Haven't really seen the market take a lot higher. And I think that's maybe just because it's coming off. Uh, we've had such a strong run up and we've had a, a couple of signs out of the US where maybe just a bit of hesitancy has crept into it. August and September are very bad months for the US stock market. And we take our lead from the US, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. So that's Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. And if you want to check out Paul's stories, particularly on Telstra, take out a free trial at switzerreport.com.au. That's your show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. See you on Thursday.